Welcome to Horses for Future. Horse people can make a difference in the climate change crisis. Together, we're learning how. My name is Alexandra Kurland. I'm the author of The Click That Teaches, a step-by-step -step guide in pictures, and many other books and DVDs on clicker training. I'm joined by Manda Scott. Manda is an author, a veterinarian, a shamanic teacher, and a climate crisis activist. Manda and I recorded this conversation in December of 2019. It was the day after the general election was held in the UK, in which Boris Johnson won a sizable majority. On the other side of the Atlantic, the impeachment hearings in the House were in full swing, so politics were very much on our mind. In last week's podcast, Manda talked about how she came to be more publicly active. For many of us, we're more comfortable taking private actions to help with climate change. Learning about better pasture management techniques is an easy first step. The more you learn about changes that are occurring around the planet, the easier it becomes to take another step and another towards being more publicly active. As I am preparing this podcast for airing, the news is filled with so many grim reports. Australia is burning. Jakarta, Indonesia is drowning. Norway is sweltering in the heat. There, there comes a point where you just can't be silent anymore. But the question is, how can we talk outside our own echo chamber in a way that opens doors instead of slamming them shut. In the U.S., we're entering an election year. If we don't learn to talk to one another, we truly will break apart. Horse people can make a difference. I know that can sound absurd when we're talking about politics, but it's something that I know to be true. The horse people I know all love being outside. Our horses carry us beyond the paddock gate, out into wild places many people never get to see. We can make a difference by sharing our love, not only of horses, but of the land they carry us over. And in the positive reinforcement community, our horses are teaching us how to focus on what we want. We're learning not to push against or direct our energy towards unwanted behavior. We can take these lessons that the horses are teaching us with us as we learn how to talk to people about what is important to us, a healthy planet and a future for the ones we love. In this podcast, we'll pick up with this thread and we'll see where it takes us. So one of the things I think we have to learn to do is how to talk to one another. Mm. Because if we don't learn how to talk to the other, yes, we will tear ourselves apart. That the yeah. divide is, the gulf is becoming so enormous that people are, that we're, we're afraid to have certain conversations. Yeah. Because as soon as you start to talk about anything political 
unless you are talking to the echo chamber, to somebody you know shares the same general political outlook as yourself, you you risk a confrontation, you risk a breaking of a friendship, you risk being ostracized. It becomes really uncomfortable and unpleasant to even think about having a political conversation. But if we don't start talking to each other, that gulf is going to split us so far apart that uh, we will truly break apart. Yes, yes, because what we found, what we're finding, you know, in the old, the Dunbar number of 150, our tribe, you know, my tribe was my tribe and the other tribe was potentially the enemy. And tribalism was, I'm sure, an evolutionary trait that was very useful. Yes. And what the politics of today has managed to do is extend those tribes into millions of people. But the amygdala, I, I could feel my amygdala growing bigger after the Brexit vote that sense of, oh my goodness, now we are under serious threat. My way of life, the people who are my tribe, the people who wanted to remain in Europe are being crushed by the evil people over there who are going to destroy the NHS and there's going to be 20 mile queues at the border and we'll not be able to get any food and whatever I could feel. And, and it's really hard not to hate them. I find it really, really hard not to hate the local Tory MP. I have to sit in a room with them occasionally and it's, physiologically difficult and yet you're right we have to not do this and i i really i go back to ken wilber's integral theory which is a useful model of the evolution of human consciousness in a person and in us as a species and so we started i think i can't remember the exact it's but you kind of start with the magical and then we move to mythical and then we move to traditional and then we move to modern and then we move to postmodern and then we get to metamodern and all of the stages until you get to metamodern there is a tendency to think my side is right and your side is wrong whoever you are out there the other Mm -hmm. side is wrong and it's only when we can move to a space where we can stand in balance between the polarities and not have to take sides that we're beginning to reach a level of social evolution and there's there's a really interesting man on your side of the Atlantic Daniel Schlachtenberger who's uh, I sent you a link I think to him on a podcast. Yes. Yeah. he's a very very clever person and he's obviously thought a lot about this and he's you know he has got the basic proposal that if we continue with rivalrous behavior my tribe right your tribe wrong and we continue with exponential weapons growth, <laughs> yes. then we will destroy ourselves. So, you know, forget climate change. That's an absolute 100% guaranteed trajectory. Because at some point, the rivalry and the weapons growth will be such that somebody will press the button that wipes out the other side, but in the process of doing that, they will wipe us out. But, you know, that's, it's, it's not possible not to get there. And therefore, we have to move to they give colors to these things and i think the metamodern is teal god knows why they chose that as a color but that's the color they get to um and somehow find a place within us that is not partisan at a point when everything around us is pressing our highly developed brain stems that move you know orders of magnitude faster than our cerebral cortices and have already told us what to feel 
long before our cortex cuts in. And the only way we can do this, I, as far as I understand at the moment, is by meditation. Meditating enough that we can see our own process and enough that we can watch that bubble of amygdaloid stuff arise and be able to step back from it instead of getting splattered by it. And that, how many people are prepared to put in the hours that that will take? Right. But I think we have to, you know, it's part of, so for me, meditating is a political act, you know. It wasn't until recently, but I'm understanding that I have to work on my own process. And that if I can, all of the work of the HeartMath Institute, that if I can bring my heart into heart coherence, it is more likely that the people around me will find heart coherence. And then that can begin to spread. And so, and heart coherence comes from head coherence. So if I can do the meditative, the, the compassionate meditations and the stillness meditations and the the various ways of being able to see my own process to a point where my energy becomes different, then, then maybe that will make a difference. And, and in an era where everything is hate-based, the more of us who can practice not hate as an active process rather than just a passive one, the better, I think. But even then, you know, I'm already, I'm already, I'm othering the haters and I need not to do that and it's so hard. So, and I would say that that working with the horses, training the horses, is a political action as well. In the same way that for you the meditation is, that the work working with the horses, but it's not just working with the horses. If I went out and did traditional training and took uh, my big stick and said to the horse, you do what I tell you or else, I would just be contributing to, I've got bigger, I've got bigger weapons than you do. And I, yes. You're adding to the sum of violence in the world. Yes. Not yes. But the more I can learn to focus on what is it that I want? What is it that I am looking for? And, and what is it that my, learning partner wants and how can I make those two things join up and what is the process that will get us both there and that I am shifting more and more to a listening mode more and more to uh, this is what I want not this is what I'm pushing against that there is real power in that. And, and I to talk to if, if you're not working with a horse, but you're working with another person and you can find that li- listening space, then you can begin to listen. Yes. To them. But I have to learn the skill somewhere. And I think it's, it's easier to learn it with the horses and then begin to live it yeah. a bit more with the people yeah. that, it's so much more complicated to start with people because we have all of our triggers, all of our buttons, all of you know the family history, whatever it is, the upbringing in schools, what whatever is pushes us and and what's been modeled. So when yeah. we went to school, what was modeled was punishment, punishment based system. That's not what we're looking for. 
you know, it was all, what did you get wrong? Yeah. Yeah. Not, yeah. and maybe it's changing these days. I don't know in terms of schools, but that certainly was not the experience for most people who are now the decision makers in yes. our society. Yes. So in the same way that uh, for you, the meditation is a political action. For me, <clears throat> the time spent with the horses and remembering, remembering how I can be mm. is a political action as well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, that um, we have to learn it somewhere and the horses can teach us. Yeah, yeah. And then we're back to Gandhi and being the change we need to see in the world and that sense yes. of being with the horse and then taking that out into all of our other interactions. Yeah. And learning when, oh, on those days when I'm feeling frustrated because it's not working the way I want it, you know, it's not working and I'm getting frustrated and that I learned to step back, to step away, yeah. to go have that proverbial cup of tea um, and not just to keep confronting and trying to get it to work. Yeah. But to step back and to be thinking about what could I be doing differently? What could I be doing in a different way? How could how could I think about this in a different way? Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I haven't got anything clever to add to that because that's no. useful. No. Well, I don't I don't know that. I don't know that we need to add anything to it. And it does become, over a period of time, it does become a habit of thought. Brings us to habits. Well done. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it brings us to habits. How it's very sneaky and clever. So you've been doing a lot of reading on habits recently. Yes. Yeah, so what have you what have you been learning? What have you what have you oh, sort yeah, of brought really, together yes, so far? Yes. Uh, and you've been thinking about habits in part because of our discussion last time where we want to build the habit of meditating. Yeah. You know, so to say to somebody, it would be really good to start meditating. And you say, oh, yeah, yeah, that's great. And you end up doing it once. Yes, and then yeah. you've got, you know, your, your normal life pulls you away. Um, oh, I meant to do that. Yeah. I meant to do to meditate this morning, but actually I needed to uh, uh, get the kids off to school or whatever it was. And I that, was on Facebook was really important, so I didn't like yes, it. Yes, yes, I had to check my email. With an hour, you know, yeah. they, they go, okay, how long should I meditate for? And, and somebody goes, well, an hour is good. And, and I do it once and that's never yeah. going to happen again. <laughs> no, I don't have an hour. You know, I when I look at... at the way my day unfolds, I've already packed it with stuff. Some of it is stuff I could take out, but somehow or another, I do manage to fill the 24 hours each and every day. So what is it when somebody says, oh, you need to add in, you sh we should all be exercising half an hour a day more than we currently are. We should then be meditating and we should do this, we should do that. And I think, when? When? Yeah, yeah. So that, that jumping in at the deep end, it doesn't work. And then I loved what you said in the previous podcast about 
we the number of thoughts that we have in the course of the day is this huge, enormous number. But what was it? 98% of the thoughts that you've had the day before. So if I'm going to start a new habit and but I wake up in the morning and I think, oh, well, I'll do it tomorrow because today I'm busy. Tomorrow I'll think that same thought again. Because tomorrow never comes, as Tomorrow, we discovered. yeah, yeah. And so when we want to make these changes, and whether it's that small, it's not a small change, but if we want to make a behavior change, and maybe it is something as private, I guess that's the word, as private as waking up in the morning and and spending a few minutes meditating and that that small step takes us to another step takes us to another step and so and suddenly our actions are no longer private and unseen by others but they are now actions that take us out of our house sure. to our neighbors into conversation you know opening up the, these, what are really crucial conversations to have that take us to whatever Trafalgar Square is in our backyard, that, that this is maybe one of those beginning places of creating, of, of, of discovering that we can change our own behavior yeah. and that we can put other things into those 24 hours that make us say if i disappeared from the planet tomorrow would i have regrets mm. no actually i wouldn't what I was yeah so that habit change it seems to me is really important because otherwise we're just going to keep thinking how grim and sad the news is but not make any changes yeah even not, yeah. and this is the thing, if the entire populations of your country and my country decided to act, we would be unstoppable. Yeah. yeah. But they, there is nothing that could stop us. If we all went, okay, enough, we're not driving ever again. I, that, that's not a likely one. But if we all said, right, that's it, we're just going to cycle from now on. Never, we're just not driving. What are they going to do? For I, I listened to the most wonderful interview. I must, I must track it down and send it to you you would enjoy it given by jane fonda who oh, yes. is now arrested. yes getting arrested every every friday that's her goal and but she also made the statement that she um she bought herself a red dress because she needed a red dress for these and that that was the last thing she was going to buy ever wow so it wasn't just, well, this is the last thing I'm going to buy this year or this month. It was, yeah. you know, I have enough clothes. I have enough stuff. I have enough stuff for the rest of my life. Yeah. I'm not going to buy anything more. Except food, I'm guessing. Food. Except food. Right, right. But so stuff, stuff. She's not going to buy any more stuff. She has wow. enough stuff. Can and I thought, imagine? Can you imagine? Even if we all stopped buying stuff for a month, the entire economy would have to change overnight. We could bring in circularity and regeneration overnight because we just all stop buying stuff. Or even if we said, let's not, let's not go that far. <laughs> that's, that's way too far. But what if we, what if we just looked at some of the plastic that we're buying? So we made some decisions about 
some of the, the ways in which we, uh, the products that we buy and the packaging that we use yep. so that we can go beyond plastics. Yep. We will be consuming things. This is the thing, because we are 21st century people and we live in, you know, it's, you can't change the system from within by dropping out of it. No. We just can't. And that's, you know, it's a hard thing. And it's particularly, again, an Extinction Rebellion. People would come past and go, well, I bet you got here in a car. You go, no, actually, I got the train. But that's not the point. <laughs> Even if I had got in a car, that's because it's the only way to get from A to B, because our public transport is so bad. But, you know, we need systemic change. And then we will be able to go from A to B in proper public transport. And we will not need the car. But it doesn't obviate, you know, it doesn't change the physics of the climate, the fact that we got here in a car. It's maybe somebody passing excuse for doing nothing, but that's a separate issue. Let's right. go back to habits, though, because I think there's something so interesting about, I've spent a lot of time since the conversation with Michaela and you, which was so useful. Because a habit is just a behavior that has become automatic. And so unpicking, because I want, we've got accidental gods coming down the line, I want people to be able, I think that if we're gonna hit conscious evolution, we have to be able to do the emotional work and the connecting and the inner mind work. And I wanted to make it, I wanted really to be able to help people to build the habit of listening to a very short visualization in the morning. And really unpicking that down to its component parts. And what I found, a number of things. So a habit is a behavior that's repeated. So then you have to look at the behavior and look at its component parts. And we want to be a splitter, not a lumper. But I, what I was really looking at, because this is a habit that I want people to choose. And one of the things that we find, if you say, you know, just go and meditate, an hour a day is good. An hour a day of sitting still, doing nothing, is deeply punishing for most people. It's not just that they've got better things to do, it's actually a deeply unpleasant experience. And yet, if you build up to that, I'm at the point now where I am desperate to do my hour a day because it's such a rewarding thing because watching my own process, obviously I'm a deeply self-obsessed person, but there's something in the process of getting to there, it has become deeply self-reinforcing so that I actively want to do it. So I really began to look, because a, a, a good habit, I gather, I am told, has four components. And one is the trigger, which is also the environmental cues or the auditory cues or whatever the cues right. are. That, the desire, the craving that goes with it, because what they found with rats was you give a rat a little bit of sugar and it gets a dopamine hit, but you don't get the habitual actually the addictive I need to have that until the dopamine hit comes before so before. the trigger triggers the dopamine hit before the actual action that gives you the reinforcement so you've got to have so a good habit has that my I'm desperate now to meditate because I'm getting my little dopamine fixes at the prospect with whatever the environmental triggers are that tell me that this is a good thing so you need the trigger you need the craving or the desire. You need the whatever it is that you're going to do. I'm a rat and I have to go through a maze to get my little bit of apple or I'm a person and I just want to sit still on my cushion for five minutes and then you get the reinforcement. And so I was trying to think, what is it? First of all, what do I want in the triggers? Because if I want someone to just wake up 
and do this visualization while they're still really not quite fully awake. That's an amazing time to meditate when you're still in alpha, before the kind of beta brainwaves of the day of this is what I've got to do and I'm already late and blah, have come in. You can get in that alpha phase, you're already in a place where the meditation is going to help you to be calmer for longer. So I wanted, what kind of things could I do? And what I'm experimenting with, and I'm going to send this out to the students when we go live and we'll find out, is I am a person. I have the capacity to build emotional states in myself. This is part of the Hebbian plasticity, what wires, fires together, wires together. So I've set up a concept, which I am testing with me and Faith, and I want to test on a much bigger scale, <laughs> which is suppose, there's that sense I have, I, we're getting near Christmas. I hate Christmas with a passion on every level. It's a consumerist nonsense. It involves family stuff. And as far as I'm concerned, families are the things that you escape from. The whole thing is a complete nightmare and I hate it. And my basic motto is if you ignore it long enough, it goes away. But deep inside is the five-year-old little girl who absolutely loves Christmas. <laughs> and, and the smell of Christmas trees. And, and in our house, it was oranges with cloves studied in them, which has a particular scent and wrapping paper and that whole thing evokes in me that huge dopamine hit of oh god presents and and there's something i i was the kid who left the presents under the tree for as long as like 12 nights because it was so much more exciting thinking what they might be than discovering what they actually, actually are yeah and so i thought could we help people to evoke that you know, and it doesn't if christmas is a bad thing which it is for some even some children you know that sense of joyful anticipation what would you need like a sense of could you get a essence of pine oil or, or stick some clothes in an orange or have some wrapping paper or a bit of music whatever it is that would create a trigger that would lift that emotional state and attach that to your five minutes with you so if you approach your five minutes of visualization oh god this is like a christmas present this feels already exciting then you do it and then you give yourself real genuine self-congratulation afterwards and that's i'm finding people find it very very hard to find a place in their heart mind where it's okay to tell themselves that they just did something really really good hmm. it's a hard thing yeah for most i'm of sure us. it is yes with, with, we're very good at self-judgment. We're extremely yep. practiced at self-judgment. Those, yep. those are of the thoughts that go around our head, the 70,000 a day and the 98% are the same. A lot of those are self-judgments. But creating the tracks, because every time we do this, we're, re, we're firing and wiring a new track of genuine self-congratulation. And then go and get yourself a bit of chocolate or whatever it is that you find rewarding. Reinforcing. Right. I right. think we will create and then you slide the other thing. So a good habit, I learn, needs to be easy, needs to be, so, so the phone with the track that we want you to listen to needs to be beside the bed in a place you can get to it without having to move. It needs to be obvious as in, I know why I want to do this. It needs to be attainable. I need to be able to do this without any friction in the way. It needs to be desirable. So that's why we're building the Christmas morning feel. And it needs to be reinforcing. And if you've got each part of that, then you slide it into an existing habit sequence. So I can get people to do their five minute visualization between waking up and going to 
brush their teeth and have a cup of coffee, say, then you've, you're kind of folding it into a sequence that must, by definition, be self-reinforcing because it is habitual. Yes. So, so you're, you're sliding in this little tiny little extra bit into something and, and I hope folding it around with emotional space. This is the bit that I haven't read anywhere else, so I don't know how it's going to translate into the wider world. It works for me, but it might not work for everybody. But I think that because we have the, and I want people to practice the ability to evoke an emotional state, because I think if we're going to change the world, if we're going to change who we are and if we're going to consciously evolve and even if we're just going to be able to talk to our neighbors who are the other side of the political divide if i can do that having evoked a genuine heartfelt sense of joyful compassion and curiosity and openness and all of the things that you get to when you're working with the horses if i can get people to just be able to switch that on at will and they've practiced the process of that often enough that those particular grooves are worn deep into their kind of meshwork of, of behaviors, then evoking an emotion becomes a behavior too. And it becomes one that will be self-reinforcing because self-congratulation that is real is really self-reinforcing. Christmas morning dopamine is really self-reinforcing. The ability to feel heart-mind opening, I find incredibly self-reinforcing. And if I can help people to do that, then I think we might be on the stage, uh, on steps on the way to them being able to connect with other people in a way that then has a ripple effect. Yes. Because every act of kindness spreads. Yes. And there are so many acts of unkindness and active hate around this, but if we can be the acts of kindness, and those are part of our behavior patterns, which we could call habits if we like, then that surely has to begin to make an impact. It surely does. I'm going to pause here. I can think of no better place to stop than on this. If we can be the acts of kindness, and those are part of our behavior patterns, then that surely has to begin to have an impact. This seems like the perfect place to end for today. I'll leave you thinking about acts of kindness. And next week, we'll continue on with the final installment of this conversation. While you're waiting for part three, do visit Manda's new site, accidentalgods.life. There you'll get to experience directly the unfolding of the ideas that we're discussing in these podcasts. 